what is good to be home. Uh, it's just so uh, refreshing just to be here uh, with you. Uh, I, I can't express to you uh, the, just the words um, that uh, my heart feels just being, being with you after being in, in East Asia. Um, and this being a very unique Sunday, as I, as I shared with you uh, earlier, uh, that we get to set aside two, two of our men, uh, Joey Montgomery and Dick uh, Cook. Uh, these are two men that have gone through our Deacon Yokefella uh, ministry, which is a training that we do for uh, deacons. involves uh, studying and reading together about disciplines for spiritual growth, having discussions about that, as well as going through a video series on uh, what does it mean to be a deacon, uh, and as well, each of these men have gone visiting with me. I've asked them to go uh, for a month time, uh, once a week, to go visiting, uh, to have some hands-on training. And uh, they've been uh, interviewed, uh, especially concerning where they are theologically, uh, in line with uh, what our church has said that we want to be about. And so these are things that each of these men have already gone through. You have voted on them as well. I've been approved by the church to be deacons. And so... This is a special service that we use uh, to uh, kind of install them, if you will, recognize their role among us. And so it is fitting for them uh, to share uh, where they are, uh, how God has worked in their life, what's brought them to this point. And so I'm going to ask Joey Montgomery. Joey, if you come up, uh, him, uh, his wife, Jackie, they have a little son, Joshua, and he's got a few of family and friends here with them today. And we've known Joey about four years, I believe. Uh, as, as he's been a member. So, Joey, if you'll share with us how God's worked on your heart, man. Uh, f- forgive me if I sound like I'm reading this because uh, this is not something speaking to this many people. <laughs> so, Jared's here, so you can smack me in the back of the head if I start stuttering. Um, but uh, out, for those of you who don't know, I was born in Oklahoma, Lawton, Oklahoma, which is um, near Fort Sill Military Base. My dad was in the Army. Um, for the first five years of my life, we had moved around from Korea to Germany, and then we finally. Um, Ended up in Raleigh, so um, I guess me and my brother Eddie you can consider us, I guess, military brats or whatever. But um, so yeah, I pretty much uh, grew up in Raleigh. I went to elementary school, middle, high school here. Um, I actually went to Millbrook High School, which is kind of funny because I was there at the same time. Jackie and Jared were also there. Uh, never met those, except I did uh, run by Jackie probably a good number of many times my senior year when I played football because she was in the color guard band, you know, the people who stand out on our football field, so, um, but uh, fast forward to uh, 1996, which um, for me was a defining year in my life, that was when I actually met Jackie, and um, we got saved that year also, which is kind of intertwined, um, you know, during that summer, you know, um, we both met each other at Babies R Us, um, a store we worked at, and she, of course, was just chasing me around, you know, the whole summer, trying to get me to <laughs> date her, but, um, you know, Seriously, when we, um, I remember when I first met her, that when she came into the store, there's a lot of times she'd wear these Christian shirts, and of course, I wasn't saved at that time, so I was like, okay, you know, I had all the Bible verses, you know, okay, that's great, you know, it's nice. My biggest concern at the time wasn't, you know, oh, that's a nice Bible verse, it was girls and where was the next party to go to, or whatever we were going to do, um, but, um, you know, I remember before we actually became officially boyfriend-girlfriend, um, she invited me to church a couple times, and, you know, my reasons for going to church at that time definitely weren't right. I mean, one of it was because I think the Lord was, you know, pulling me in there, but it was also, I had a girl ask me to go, so why not go? So, um, you know, and we had actually, we'd gone um, to church a few times that summer, and then um, I moved off to Wilmington to go to college, and she went to Wilson, but, but you know, every weekend we'd come home, and we'd still go to church, um, you know, and then it was probably end of September, um, she had started talking about going to a Billy Graham crusade, and I'll be honest with you, at that time, I had Never, I don't even think I'd ever heard of Billy Graham, you know, amazingly enough as that is. But, um, you know, I, I didn't know who he was. So I was like, sure, I'll, you know, go to the crusade, which is not a big deal. And, and I remember telling my mom about that. And um, the only thing she told me was uh, the advice she gave me was just, you know, just listen to what he has to say. It's like, okay, I've never heard this guy. So, you know, we'll see what he's got to do. Um, when I remember going to the crusade, you know, they were playing, it was tons of music. Um, it was at the uh, Charlotte uh, Carolina Panther Stadium. Um, and I remember him giving his message, and uh, right before the actual invitation, uh, DC Talk, which is a, a Christian group, came up and sang a song, and the song was, um, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. For those of you who don't know that song, in that song, um, it's talking about a man and a wife laying in bed together, and the rapture comes, and one's still sitting in the bed, 
and two men are walking up a hill, and at the end of it, one man's still walking up the hill. You know, after listening to his message and thinking about the song, I didn't want to be the person walking by myself or left in bed. So, and, you know, I remember turning to Jackie, and um, there was two other friends that were with us, and I just remember um, asking her if she'd walk with me down to the field, and, of course, you know, I was bawling like a baby, which is something I don't normally do. So, <laughs> but, um, but I walked down there and ended up um, saying the sinner's prayer and accepting the Lord into my heart that night. So it was, I still remember the day. It was September 28, 1996, which is a day after my brother's birthday. So that's easy to remember for me. Um, you know, the next step I followed in was, uh, you know, believer's baptism. Um, you know, we started going to church, got plugged in to um, a church before we were married around here. And uh, after we got married, we looked at another church. It seemed like most of the time we were going to churches, there was always something going on. Um, our couple Sunday school teachers actually just quit on us and left, so that's kind of discouraging. You know, we went to a church that almost had like a, a church split, which was, you know, it was kind of discouraging to go there. You know, first start thinking, well, geez, what did I do? You know, all these people are just leaving. But, um, you know, we ended up coming here to Green Pines at... Um, January 2006, and um, got plugged into a, a Sunday school class, um, just and started serving here, our small group. So one other thing, just encouraging you guys, if you guys aren't in a small group, you need to be involved in one. They're awesome. I mean, you know, it's different, you know, coming here and fellowship with 250 people, but it's a lot more intimate when you go and you have 10 people around or 15 people. Um, but um, I do, um, there's definitely been some godly people God has put into my life over the past few years. Um, one of them I would definitely say is, uh, you know, Jared. Um, I just remember when we were going through all of uh, Jackie's health concerns and stuff, you know, there was a lot of times where I'd be questioning, you know, you know, why us? You know, we've only been married six years. You know, she's gone through a stroke. She's had cancer. And her son was born early. Just, you know, a lot of things going on. I remember uh, sitting in Wendy's at UNC Hospital with Jared one, one day um, when she was going through one of her surgeries. And, uh, it was one of those conversations you have with your pastor, and at the end of it, you're like, okay, that was, my feet are hurting afterwards, you know, not one of those things that was like, okay, that's great, I didn't really, you know, just want to hear that, but, you know, it's something I needed, um, and uh, one of the verses that I always liked is First um, Peter 5, 7, which is cast your cares upon him because he cares for you, and um, one of the things that, um, you know, I, to me, I, I don't like to burden people with my problems, I figure I'm a big guy, I can take care of myself, I can move furniture myself. I don't need anybody's help. I don't like to ask for people to help me, but, um, you know, one of the things Jared just pointed out was, you know, you can't do everything yourself. You know, I have to rely on God because if not, there's no way, you know, I could have gone, we could have gone through what Jackie went through. Um, you know, I also, you know, the other person in my life is, um, Jackie, we've been married, you know, 11 years and everything she's gone through. Um, you know, it's been, it's been awesome to watch God work through her because, there's a lot of times where I probably failed at providing for her at that time just because, you know, I, a lot of times I just didn't want to deal with it and just left it aside. But, um, you know, she's been my best friend and my greatest supporter, you know, and also my little boy over there, Joshua. I mean, it's he's awesome. It's nothing like being caught out by your five-year-old. Um, I mean, and I'm not a person who, like, stand up here for you guys. It's amazing I'm even actually doing this. But I'll tell you a story about him. We were actually in... San Diego visiting my brother-in-law who's a pastor out there and uh yeah I don't like to pray in front of people or whatnot but um it was before the service started there's this is a church plant said but he brings everything in chairs and and there's probably about 30 of us in there and my brother-in-law asked does anybody want to pray of course he's five years old at the time sticks his hands up walks up in front of everybody and prays in front of 30 different people he has no clue who they were I mean it's just you know how God uses different people in your lives so but um um, you know, one thing I was talking to my friend Jason about was if you would have asked me a couple of years and told me that I would have gone on a mission trip, taught my Sunday school class once, and be a teacher for RAs, I probably would have thought you are crazy. And <laughs> Or even speaking up here, um, you know, I, before I had to do the Harvest Crusade, when I gave my testimony about going on the mission trip, um, one of the verses I keep having to say to myself is uh, Philippians 4.13, which says, I could do Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Because if I didn't say that 50 times before I got up here, I'd probably just staring at you for about five minutes and not doing anything. <laughs> but um, I just want to say that I am humbled by the opportunity that God has given me to be a deacon here for you guys, and I'm just honored to continue to serve with you guys. So that's all I got. So thank you.
Our second man, uh, many of you know uh, Dick, uh, Dick Cook. He's been here, uh, 70s, I believe, is when he uh, started here, uh, right toward the beginning of our church starting. And so his <coughs> family's been here for a long time. So, Dick, if you'll share with us, the Lord's working in your heart. Y'all bear with me. Good morning. And um, it's, it's a great pleasure and such an honor to be standing up here today. Something I'm doing that I didn't think I would ever achieve. But when you got the Lord in your heart, you know you can do it. And I'm kind of tender-hearted, so if I can keep this thing together. Uh, you know, I am just as nervous now I was 60 years ago. That's when I was 12 years old. That's when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. That was on a summer night at White Crossroads Baptist Church. And about three weeks later, I was baptized in a fishing pond, which I could go back fishing in that same pond I was baptized in a week later. <laughs> but uh, the Lord had been working in my heart for a while, you know, and that special Wednesday night, uh, he told me I had to do it. So I walked down and accepted Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, you need to do it. Because he can sure change your way of life. And the best way of life you'll ever have before in your life. And one of these days, you're going to need him. So you need to go on and get your stuff together and, and accept him now while you're young. Because if you don't, you might not make it home today. You're going to be there, and it's going to be too late. But uh, I've been married to my wife for 45 years, going on 46. So I must be doing something right. She's still with me. <laughs> and uh, i got two fine kids. i got a son, Dan Cook. got a daughter, Vanessa. Four great-grandkids, of which I love to death. And the Lord's been good with me all my life. He's been so good to me. Everywhere I turn, he's helping me out. You won't ever believe this, but uh, last year, in the last year, something has been bothering me for a long time. The Lord tried to speak to me, and, and I told Barbara, in fact, he got me upset so much, I, I cried. And I told her, I said, he wants me to do something, and I don't know what it is. So I think it was in February, one Wednesday night up here, a deacon approached me. He asked me, would I consider being a deacon? I said, you kidding? He said, no. I said, he said, will you let me know something by next Wednesday, Dick? I said, okay, I'll show him. So I went back to the table where we were sitting eating, and I told Barbara, I said, you won't never believe what I was asked a while ago. She said, what? I said, I was asked would I consider being a deacon. She said, did he? I said, yeah. So we went home, and I prayed about that thing, and got to think about it, prayed about it, and prayed about it. That's what the Lord tried to tell me, that he wanted me to become a deacon. Here I am. And it's because y'all voted for me. And I'm going to try to be one of the good deacons y'all ever had. And I'm not going to say I'm going to be the best one, but I'm going to be up there with the good ones. <laughs> but it's a lot. I've got a lot of ways to go. I've got a lot to learn. I can learn by some of the older deacons, some of the other new deacons we got here too. So uh, I've got so many things going on in my life. And, and it, when you've when you got a lot of things going on in your life, all you got to do is sit down and pray to the Lord. And he give you the wisdom and the knowledge. You'll come through it. I mean, all you got to do is ask him, and he'll help you. Some people are afraid to ask him, but you got to ask him first. But uh, the Lord has looked at me several times. I know I fell off my wife's mother's house he looked up when I hit the ground on that so I used to work with Progress Energy for me on the line crew and I've been shot kind of bad and uh, I was in a fiberglass bucket one time in a substation I got a hold of 7200 in one hand and breached it and grabbed 7200 in the other hand which you don't suppose to do that and it knocked me away from it and so one he didn't kill me but he didn't I've been a human torch one time by gasoline I stayed in the hospital 28 days so he got me well of that, and I'm still here, still plugging and trying to hit the pastor. You know, oh, I don't know went, so. Oh. <laughs> hey. But, uh, but uh, with y'all's help and all, and uh, if you can help me, and I'll help y'all. And, and uh, anything else I can do for this church, I'm willing to do it. Don't never meet a stranger. Everybody's my friend. Whether you like me or not, I'm going to make you speak to me, because I've done that before. <laughs> And uh, I thank the Lord, like I said before, if you had to accept Jesus Christ, you need to do it today before you go home. You might not be here tomorrow. So do that for me. 
to not do it for the preacher. If not, do it for yourself. Because you're going to need it. Thank you, and I appreciate y'all's help. Thank you, Dick, his wife, Barbara. Just uh, It's always good to hear testimonies, how God's working in people's life. Uh, it doesn't get old. Uh, I always enjoy that. Because um, the fact is, God wants to work in people's hearts. He wants to work in, in your life. Uh, you know, from the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 2, when he says, let us make man in our own image, the idea is that when he made you and made mankind, he had a design for you. That you are to follow after him and to be Christ-like. That's, that's his design. And all throughout, from Genesis to Revelation, it is the story of God working in mankind, changing their heart to be like him. And it is, it is the story that God has given himself the name. You know, he's given the name Redeemer. That means bought back. Uh, would have been wasted, would have been destroyed. That's kind of how our lives tend to go. They tend to go down paths that are self-destructive and at the end have no meaning. But God is a redeemer. He buys us back for an eternal purpose to help us to be Christ-like. Until we get that, we don't understand life. And so I want to take this opportunity to share a little bit about church and leadership and deacons. Um, you know, looking at Hebrews 13, uh, verse 17 through 19 as kind of our, our launching point to, to go down this, this path. But, um, you know, there's some very important things at stake in a church. Um, God wants to work in Nightdale, and he chooses to use churches to do that. In fact, that's his main method throughout all this world is that he uses groups of people who are united by the name of Christ, the Spirit of Christ. There's much at stake. Um, I, I had some thoughts about this last night. As, well, um, last 36 hours, I was on a plane. And, um, you know, you have a lot of time to consider things. And, and I, I saw a fellow that was working dressed up sharp. You know, he had the outfit on, the, the coat. Um, tie, he had a little badge on there for airlines. Normally, I would have thought, he's a pilot. If I'd seen him walking down the airport, I thought, well, there's a pilot. Um, but on this flight, he was pushing the tables. He's just serving food. And I'm thinking, man, I hope he's not the pilot. <laughs> you know? Um, as, as, as good as the food may be or not be, uh, as, as much as I would like someone to serve me a meal, I don't want the pilot serving me a meal. I want the pilot up in the cockpit, you know. Do your job. Focus. Um, you don't have to meet all my needs. And, and so it, it just occurred to me how important it is to understand roles. Uh, and the church also has roles. And so, if you will, let's let's talk a little bit about this. What what is at stake? Uh, you know, Jesus said this in John, and and let me just read this to you. We're going to be flipping all over today. It's not going to be our normal uh, mode, but uh, in John 17, uh, Jesus uh, gave some important instructions to the disciples. And in uh, as we read in verse 15 through 20, the main message in this passage is that he's saying to the disciples, "I'm going to be leaving you guys." I'm going to be on the cross. There's going to be a resurrection that will occur. But you guys are going to stay in the world. I want you to stay right here among people who don't believe me. You're going to be all intermingled in their life. Uh, in fact, he says, uh, John 17, verse 15, Jesus said, I do not ask, he's talking to God the Father, this is a prayer. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them or set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's talking about us at this point 
as well as any other believers who are to come uh, that we've not yet met. Verse verse, uh, 22, or verse 21 rather, that they may all be one. He's praying that they all will be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Now, why is it important that we be one? Why is it important that we have the same spirit together? The spirit of Christ, that is the spirit of God. Why is this important? Verse 21. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The unity of a church is the basis by which God teaches the society around that church about God. Now, I'm not talking about uniformity. I've talked with some others of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, and they say, oh, everything's the same. It's the same building. It's the same format. It's everything's the same, no matter where you are in the country. And I think, well, that's great if you want to be uniform. But what Christ is teaching is not uniformity, but a unity in spirit that, that happens, and that this is what the world sees. It's verse 22. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may be become perfectly one, so that the world, listen, why is this important? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. How does Nightdale know that God loves them? It happens when there is a church unified in the spirit of Christ. It teaches a watching world about the love of Christ, the power of God. In fact, this is the same message that we see later on in First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says that you are a royal priesthood, a chosen nation. You are my people so that the world may know the excellencies of Christ. So, deacons, let me just share with you, your role is important. As well as deacons, as well as pastors, as a church together, those who are members together, we being submitted to the Spirit of Christ. Do you understand that Nightdale, the impact of Christ on Nightdale, on East Raleigh, on this part of this section of our area, is dependent on us being one together in the Spirit of Christ. Why is it important that we surrender to the Spirit of Christ? So that the world will know about Christ. So this is there's much at stake, all right? So with that being said, let me just go back to Hebrews chapter 13, and uh, verse 17 through 19. Now, the Bible does teach that there are roles, that there are leaders, that there are uh, specific uh, responsibilities that are given in any church, and and uh, regardless of what country you're in, what people you are, what generation you live in, this Bible is a timeless truth source, okay? So it's not something that we look at the truths and say, all right, well, let's modify it to the times that we're in. We find the universal truths here and apply it to the Word of God, regardless of where we're at, there are these leaders. And so Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 through 19, I, I talked about already two weeks ago. It says, simply obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will get, have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The Bible speaks, first of all, as a role of pastors, okay? A role of pastors that we have here in this passage that has some very serious, very serious responsibilities. What is the serious responsibility? Well, first of all, a role of pastors is that we are to watch over the souls. All right, We are the ones who are in a group, a community, who we're looking at the spirit of our community together, our faith community, as well as individual people, and we're praying for them, we're trying to make decisions, we're trying to put in factors in this society, this culture, this church that will help us grow spiritually one of the one of the sayings that we have is that this is a greenhouse for the great commission the idea is that we can't make you grow Uh, if you want to come here and say i'm going to go there so that i'll grow it won't work we will create an atmosphere our job is to help create an atmosphere for your spiritual growth but ultimately it's between you and christ how you grow but as pastors we want to create that atmosphere so we're trying to make decisions that will help that atmosphere of spiritual growth. Understanding, verse 17, pastors, we are held accountable before God. 
we are held accountable before God for how we shepherd, how we pastor this community. That's sobering. I'm going to tell you. No one steps up to that unless you're called by God. No one says, hey, yeah, God, I'd like to have a little bit more severe, stricter judgment. Uh, Yeah, okay, that's me. I want that accounting. This is something that God places in the hearts of men to do. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, that God gifts them. Uh, and there are certain giftings and callings that people have. And he brings them up to the church, and according to Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, so that the church might be built up to do the work of the ministry. Alright? So, that's my job. That's the job of Mike. That's the job of Trevor. The pastoral staff here, we are accounted as Hebrews 13, verse 17, as one who will have to give an account before God. Our job is to watch over the soul under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Um, so, we understand that role. The Bible gives some, some qualifications to this. 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives us there. So let's, let's go to that passage, 1 Timothy 3, because this will also speak about the second role, uh, the, and that is the one of being a deacon. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, starts the qualifications for being this pastor. You'll see three terms in the New Testament, and I would argue that these three terms are interchangeable with one another. It's the term pastor, it's the term overseer, or in uh, another way of saying that is bishop, I we, in Baptist, we don't go that way much. We don't use the word bishop. Um, but the idea is there, overseer. Um, and so, and then the third term is elder, all right? Elder. Uh, not just referring to the age of a person, but to the spiritual maturity of this person, of being an example. So you see these three terminologies, elder, pastor, overseer. And you'll see these terms interchanged with one another. A couple of passages where they're interchanged, if you just want to do some research on this, is, is 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 1 and 2, uh, is, a, is a passage where it's instructive about how to pastor, using these three terms interchangeable with one another, referring to the same group of people. In Acts uh, chapter 20, you also have another situation when Paul is calling together the elders of Ephesus, and he tells the elders of Ephesus, I want you to be... Uh, to be overseeing uh, the work of in Ephesus, and I want you to pastor, I want you to care for this church. And so you've got this same group of people doing the same, uh, both three terms, and referred to as elder, pastor, overseer. And so what I would argue is that this is a, a one person or a group of people that are interchangeable with these, these terms. And so what, what does this guy look like? Or what, did, what does this group of men look like? Well, first, Timothy 3 gives instruction here. What does this look like? Um, and let me just take this briefly because I want to spend more time on the deacon role. Uh, verse, verse 2, therefore an overseer must be above a reproach, all right, or, or blameless. The husband of one wife. Literally what's being said here is a one woman type of man. A one-woman type of man, which speaks more to than just marriage, but in your heart and your mind. You're a one-woman type of man. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? I find that interesting that the one criteria he spends the most time with is about his home. Uh, you know, in, in our day and age, in the church in America, we are looking for guys who can uh, manage well, who are CEO type persons, um, Bible degrees, and, and they ought to know the Bible. But when I read the Bible, it says it's, it's not about whether you can manage a business. Because the church isn't a business. He says it's about whether they can 
deal well with their family? Can they lead well with the family? Because the church is a family, not a business. The church is a family. Now, some practices of business that may be used, but by and large, we are a family together. We are an organism together. We are a living body under Christ. And so we look for these type of men. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and to a snare of the devil. All right, so he has a good reputation with unbelievers. Now, you've heard me mention already several times men. Why do I say men? Because we live in a day and age where women can do most anything. Um, Am I pushing women down? Let me just share with you. I'm just simply bringing out to you what Scripture says. Um, I'm not imposing anything. I'm just telling you that the Bible says... Going back to Genesis 2, Genesis 3, that the role of a man and a woman are different. It's not an issue of equality. They are equal before God. They both are in made in God's image. But God has given the task for men to be a spiritual leader in their home. To pay the price of sacrifice to lead their wife. Not dominate but lead their wife, building them up by their love and sacrifice. And so we see this in Genesis 2, Genesis 3, and throughout the New Testament. And so he says, this is how the family works. And so the church, also like that family, is led by men, leaders of their home, spiritual leaders, who will take the sacrifice, who will be the servants And build people up. Okay? So in that same way, he says, just like you do that in your family, do this in your church. Why? Well, we we did a study on this some time ago. We see this in Ephesians chapter 6 and Ephesians 5. The reason why is because the family actually is a living metaphor of how Christ treats the church. The father represents, the husband represents God, where the a wife represents the church, and that it is to be a living metaphor of how Christ loves us. All right? So husbands, deacons, pastors, what kind of message does the world get about the love of Christ when they see our love for our wives? Our love for the church. And so it is a a metaphor, a living metaphor. And so he takes that and applies it as well to the church body and says, and this is, this is why. So it's not an issue of men doing it better or women doing it better. It's not an issue of their capability whatsoever. I would argue that some of the women are are extremely compassionate and quite capable of teaching the Bible and are able to do these things. It's not a question of ability whatsoever. It's just simply, this is what the Bible says. And in the wisdom of God, he's asked men to do this to represent God's love for the church. So it's, it's what the Bible says, you know, and that's what all I can do uh, is I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. And I'm not really interested in what we think or what the cultural opinion is of the day. Because that's always moving. That's always changing. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. And so then it goes on to verse 8. Deacons. Deacons. Now the word deacon literally means servant. Be a servant. Uh, in fact, it's kind of like the word waiter. Uh, if we were living that day and age, we're going to a restaurant and then someone comes around and takes your order, we'll say, hey, there's a deacon. They're, they're, they're serving us. And so it had that same image of being a servant. So you see this word deacon referred to in various ways, referring to men and, re- and women in the Bible, because that's what it was. It was a, a term used to serve. But at this point in 1 Timothy chapter 3, this book was written to give pastoral instruction how to uh, order a church, how to lead a church. And so at this point, this word, this verb of serving has now taken on a whole office in and of itself. And so 1 Timothy 3 is now referring to the office of deacon. Men and women both can serve, but as far as the office goes, he gives criteria in 1 Timothy 3. Deacons, uh, verse 8, likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, 
not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their lives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So when we ask our deacons, um, when we consider them for Yokefell, we have an application form. And it follows this passage. Uh, line by line, we ask, do you have a problem with money? Is there um, some issues here of money that we need to know about? Um, are you serving in the church? What areas do you serve? Um, we're talking about uh, double-tongued. Are, do you have a problem with lying? Do people at work would bring this against you? Uh, these are questions we ask literally line by line, phrase by phrase, as an application form. Uh, and so it kind of lets know uh, what the job description is as far as the character right from the beginning. Uh, why? Because that's what the Bible says. We want our men to be going in this direction. Now, here's the, what we say. We're looking for guys going in that direction. All right? This is their heart. This is their, their ambition. They want to be men seeking God. And because they're seeking God, it gives them a passion that changes their lifestyle. All right? So this is what we're looking for. We understand that in that yoke fellow process, there's some guys that they're thinking, you know, I read this and I didn't even realize that this was a standard for me. And so now, once that's brought to their attention, they start changing. And we pray for them and we encourage them in that process to help them grow toward that end. Now, let me just share with you how this all started. Why do we have an office of deacons? Why did this begin? We find instruction here in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, is where we first come across this idea of an office of being a deacon. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. The church has just bloomed. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Sunday, we get excited when we have a few folks join. They have... 3,000 join in a day. You know, just incredible, incredible amounts of growth. I mean, what do you do with that? Um, I, I would assure you, we're not building a building. Um, you got 3,000 growing at one time. You just, you don't handle, you gotta, you gotta find, it's just too slow. You gotta find other ways to, to make that happen. And, and that's what they're doing. And, and they're ministering to one another. They're ministering to the widows, uh, those who are being hurt financially. Um, you notice in Acts 6, verse 1, disciples were increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The gospel is um, multiracial. <laughs> all right? It goes across all the, all the normal social boundaries. Um, and so the church is a sign of the gospel in the churches. You've got people of different races uh, all together. Um, Joey... Uh, we were out visiting, and we were visiting some of our community, and uh, they were asking, uh, "So, it was, is your church receptive to interracial couples?" Um, I was like, "Well, yeah, yeah, you know." And I, I forgot, but Joey, you know, Joey's got multi-ethnic uh, background, and uh, and you know, I, I'm, I'm pleased. I'm I'm just excited of what the Lord's doing here. That it's not an issue whatsoever in our church body. Um, it kind of dawned on me when I went to East Asia. And I had a person ask me, uh, what is it called when you have one race and another race and they're married together? And I said, that's interracial. I said, oh, yes. Are you interracial? I said, oh. <laughs> no, I don't think so, you know. I'll be glad to tell my parents that, you know. And it's just, it, have, it just lets you know, you know what? It's not, it's not a deal. It's not a, it's not a factor. It is the gospel, is the factor. And some folks will say, well, you know, in the Old Testament, you got them, you know, they couldn't marry others. You know why they couldn't marry other people? Because they didn't believe in God. They didn't believe in God. And God's perspective, there's one race. There's either the believers or there's the unbelievers. And the church is a place where it all come together. Because look in chapter 6, verse 1, that's what's going on. They got different groups coming together. 
That doesn't mean it works out all smooth. Alright? They're having some issues. They're having some, some complaints and some people are, are complaining that, hey, one group of people, one race, uh, they're getting served and others are not. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick up Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. There was uh, disunity that was starting, beginnings of it. Remember, the unity of a church is a sign of the gospel. The interracial nature of the church is a sign of the gospel. And so they're thinking, well, what do we do? How do we deal with this? Because, you know, I'm trying to study. I'm trying to preach. I got, I'm teaching the word of God. But now I'm having to come in and help and, and serve the tables. And I'm, I'm not able to do this. So what do we do? They, they create the office of deacons. Interesting enough, the office of deacons were first created to help protect the unity of the church. I would argue today from this text that is still the primary function of the deacons today. They are to be the type of men that can bring unity to a church. They are the type of men that when they see disunity, they pray for it, they approach it, they deal with it. This is one of the first responsibilities that they do, going all the way back to Acts chapter 6. Why? So that the pastor can teach the Word of God. So that the pastor can care for the souls of the church. That's why when I'm on an airplane, as much as I like having food served to me, I don't want the pilot doing it. All right? Pilot, you do your job. You, you, you get me there. You get me there. Uh, flight attendant, great. I love to have a ginger ale. I love to have some water. Wonderful. Uh, but interesting enough, in that whole airplane metaphor, who's the most important? But what if there was no but what if there was no people wanting to go anywhere? Interesting enough, the people sitting there are the ones driving everything. The needs of the people. That's why you have an airplane. That's why you have a pilot. That's why you have a flight attendant. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you is that in the church I'm not the most I'm not the most important one. I'm not the most important one. Jesus is. Jesus is and so Jesus' heart is to build a people build a community of faith and so that's the next level the community of faith is important that's why we have a congregational uh rule so to speak a congregational that they they call the pastors that they give authority by christ under christ giving authority to the leaders and so deacons pastors the needs of the people around us drive us they drive us uh, and so, uh, here they have the deacons coming in. And notice what they do. Verse 4, or verse 5, this pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, and Curius, and Nicanor, and Timar, and Parmenius, and Nicolaus, and Apostolate of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and laid their hands on them, which is what we're about to do. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The priests, the priests were coming to, to know the Lord. The people were coming to know the Lord. Disciples were multiplying every day because the pastors could do their job. The deacons could do their job. And so what was at stake was all of Jerusalem knowing that God sent them all of Jerusalem knowing the love of God, as Jesus said in Acts 17, as in 1 Peter 2, that they would all know the excellencies of Jesus Christ. And Jerusalem was getting swarmed with the disciples. So much so, the city couldn't contain it. Our roles matter. Deacons, it matters what you do. We consider the wives in this as, as 1 Timothy 3 gives us instructions to do because we understand that deacons come together, not by themselves, but they are being a husband of one wife. They are one in flesh, as God has said. And so what the deacons doing often, the wives are doing too. And the wives will tell you, yeah, there's some extra changes and responsibilities that come with this. And that we see them together as a team working. 
ministering together. And so it's important that the wives also are fully supportive of their husband in this role and that they also live a lifestyle as 1 Timothy 3 tells us to do. Because I'm going to tell you, wives, um, the husband may be following the Lord, but if you're not following the Lord, then together you're not ministering effectively and you're, and you're hurting one another in the ministry. And so this is what we've been called us to do. Now, you know, sometimes we have the idea of that these are, these are the super guys, you know. If I could just be like that. Let me just share with you. They're not super. I'm not super. I'm just a, a guy. I'm just like you. These men are just like you. They'll struggle. I'll struggle. We have difficulties in faith from time to time. It is something that God is working with us through. But the one thing that we all have in common is that it occurred to us. You know, if we don't have Christ in our life, we're really messed up. It has occurred to us that if we don't have a Savior, we have no hope. It has occurred to us that if we don't have a relationship with God, then our life is going to be pitiful and wasted. It's occurred to us that we're bankrupt spiritually before God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's, it's all right if you're messed up. In fact, I would probably recommend it. Best way to get right is get messed up. You know? And uh, we don't need a lot of help in that. Some of you are thinking, all right, it's a messed up place. I'm here. I'm good. Yeah. That's the first part. Coming to God and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. I need a Savior. And that's exactly what he wants to do. You know, the John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that if anyone believes in him, they'll not perish, but have everlasting life. To say, Jesus, you've done it all. You, you lived a life I should have lived. I can't live that. And so Jesus said, you know what? I'm not asking you to live that. I'm just asking you to trust in me. That I lived it for you. I died a death that you deserve because you are so messed up. I died that death. I paid that punishment so that now you could know God. I want you to know God. That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to know that when you're walking through life, that God is walking with you. That when you're walking through life, you're walking through a life that God has designed for you. That when you're walking through life, you're walking through a life that God is bringing, will bring together to an end that brings glory to Him. And that's okay with you because you realize that God is so much worth glorifying than your own desires and passions. And when that understanding happens, the Spirit of Christ comes in you. As the living Spirit changes your heart, gives you a new passion. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Spirit of Christ, according to Romans. So now you have a new passion. We're looking for passionate people. Passionate for Jesus Christ. Seeking Him. Discipline is passion. Think about it. Why would you sacrifice what you do? Unless you're passionate about it. What are you disciplined over? Does it, does it really matter what you're disciplined over? Is it eternal what you're disciplined over? Sports? Job? Your home? Things are good and they profit a little, but they will not last. Be passionate about Jesus Christ. And so we're seeing men that have been bankrupt. And they know they're still messed up and they're asking God, work in my life. And we're seeing God work in their life in such a way that they're becoming passionate. And we know they're passionate because they're becoming disciplined and becoming Christ-like. And these are the type of men that we say, hey, watch them. Watch them. We would, we would love to have many more members like that. That are that type of men. We've asked them to follow the commitments of the church. We've, we've asked, when you join our church, um, we teach you in that 101 class. If you join our church, there's something expected of you. You are expected to support the testimony of this church. By your lifestyle, by attendance. And so we're asking deacons to be leaders in that. When you join our church, 
We're asking you to protect the unity of this church, that you commit to that by, uh, one, not gossiping. Uh, don't talk of, to people about stuff they don't really need to hear about. They're not part of the solution. They're not part of the problem. They don't need to know about it. Don't do that. That's gossiping. It doesn't have a good result. Support that, that church. Protect unity. Uh, don't gossip and, and love them. Love each other. Not like, because you won't. You know, you won't. And not everyone's going to like you. Or they may like you a little bit and sometimes they won't. You know, I do that to myself. I don't like myself all the time. And I know my wife doesn't like me sometimes. <laughs> and I know my kids don't. And that goes both ways, doesn't it? But you love them. You love them. That's what you do with the church. You, you protect the unity by not gossiping, by loving them, and following the leaders that God has put, that Hebrews 13, verse 17 passage. So you support the testimony. We, we ask deacons to be leaders in supporting the testimony and to be leaders in protecting the unity. It goes back to Acts chapter 6. We ask members that when they join our church that they serve in the ministry of this church. They find their gifts. Know what you're good at. Whatever you're good at, find a way to do it for God. Whatever you're good at, find a way to do it with the church. And we ask deacons to be leaders. After all, they are servants. To be leaders as servants. And then we ask them, if you're joining our church, we ask you to share in the responsibility of this church. That it's not, it's not longer them. Look at them. They, why'd they do that? It's now we. Look at what, we're, why are we doing that? It, it, you changed your pronouns. It's, it's now possessive. It's first person plural. It's us together. And so you take on the responsibility. Commit to a church and say, they are mine and I am theirs. And so what does that mean? Well, it means you're going you're gonna to pray for the church. You're going to pray for each other. You're going to invite unbelievers, people that aren't attending. You're going to invite them to come because you know what? If they hear me to do it, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to do that. But if you do it, it's so much more influential, influential if you do it. And then how do, you, how do you do this? Well, welcoming people. You know, the, the Bible tells us in, in the book of Romans that we are to be a welcoming church. And that is a sin if we don't welcome people. Um, and I'm not just talking about Sunday morning, whether this is a welcoming atmosphere or not. But throughout the week, that you're welcoming to people, inviting them to Jesus Christ, inviting them to this church. We're asking deacons to lead in these areas. So there's pastors. There's deacons, then there are believers committed to the church. That's what we call membership. You're a member, body. You're a body member of us. And so we've got a little bit of all three, and then there are some of you who have been attending, uh, and, and some of you guests. Thank you for coming. Uh, we want to love you. We want to pray for you. We want to be a place for you to grow spiritually. Deacons, it has largely amount to do with what you do and how you do it. Now, Acts 6 tells us that they uh, set, aside, set aside these men by prayer and by laying on of hands. And that's what we're going to do right now.